conversations. Hi, Davo. How are you going, Beck? Pretty well, thank you. So now we seem to be having a good conversation, a med conversation. Thank <laughs> you for how they work. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Today we're going to be talking about an approach to syncope. No more rare blood cancers. This is going to be something that is commonly seen in lots of medical situations, whether that be the GP office, the ED, or on the wards. So having just come off an emergency rotation, I can certainly testify to this. There is a lot of syncope that walks in through the ED. Mm. Um, I haven't seen so much of it on the wards, though, have you? Yeah, no, certainly. Almost all the code blues I've ever been to have been due to syncope. I shouldn't say that, that because they obviously always still run to a code blue. Don't assume it's just going to be syncope. And always run to syncope because syncope can represent something very severe underlying, as we will discuss in a minute. Correct. So what is... What is syncope? What does it mean? So syncope is a transient loss of consciousness with a loss of postural tone. So that's an unconscious collapse. But the key with this uh, loss of postural tone is then it retain, um, returns spontaneously to the baseline without you know any medical intervention at all. Yeah. So this isn't someone who has CPR and comes back to the dead from the dead. This is just spontaneous recovery. Mm-hmm. What about pre-syncope? So that's similar, but often they don't actually pass, or they don't pass out with pre-syncope. They've just got a feeling that they might. So it's like pre-fainting, something that you have a lot of. I have so much of it. I will tell you more about my experiences soon. So just to dive into the pathophysiology for a second. So syncope happens when there's global hypoperfusion of both the cerebral cortices or focal hypoperfusion of the reticular activating system. But that's it for pathophysiology. From now on, it'll be just purely practical. So we'll talk about the approach to syncope. Yeah, so let's start off actually with an approach to a transient loss loss of consciousness because there is a really important differential. If it's not syncope, it could be a seizure. Exactly. So that's a, that's the first question when someone tells you we've got syncope here, you need to work it up. The first question, is it syncope? So there's two main things that I find that people call syncope that actually aren't. And one is a seizure. And the other one is just a fall or a collapse. They say they collapsed and it somehow gets lost in translation that they never lost consciousness. Mm. So if you decide that it is syncope, you need to work out what caused it. And if somebody um, comes in with true syncope, there are three different umbrella classifications for that. So firstly, it could be neurally mediated, which is also known as reflex syncope. Secondly, it could be orthostatic. Or thirdly, and most seriously, cardiac Mm. So let's talk about the neurocardiogenic or, or the reflex syncopes. What's the pathophysiology there, Davor? So that's where there's a sudden transient change in autonomic efferent activity with increased parasympathetic outflow, resulting in bradycardia. So this that, is important. That word is in bold on our PowerPoint slide for a reason. Um, so not just bradycardia, obviously, but then vasodilation and reduced vasoconstricted tone, and that's what actually causes the syncope. Yeah, so so that it can be a vasovagal from emotional causes. So this is the the people who pass out in surgery because they're seeing blood, people who have um, a, a syncopal episode in response to pain. I've got a friend who passes out as soon as she so much as gets a paper cut, um, and also just strong emotions. Then there's situational reflex syncope, which is mediated in a similar way, but is a response to a physical um, change in the body. So this is, this is very physiological. So the one that I always see is when I, whenever there's a code blue and it's in the bathroom, I always just think this is most likely to be urogenital or micturition syncope. So you have an increase in parasympathetic um, efferent activity when you go to pee, and then some people pass out. There you go. 
there are a few other causes uh, that are similar. So pulmonary causes could be, you know, the kids playing trumpet in the band, someone who's <laughs> coughing a lot, someone who sneezes, can all end up with a syncopal episode for, for those sort of reasons. Weightlifters do it too. If you've got a few minutes and want to procrastinate, look up some of the, the great YouTube videos out there. Um, actually, not great. I almost had a syncopal episode watching them. It's pretty <laughs> scary watching someone lifting a few hundred kilograms and then just um, fainting. Yeah. There's some gastrointestinal causes as well. So the classic one here is the PR exam, which then um, results in syncope. So I actually saw this in the emergency department a few weeks ago, not realising that this was a cause of syncope that's actually well recognised and neither did any of my colleagues, but we had a patient who was about to go home and just had a PR for completeness of the examination of their back pain, ended up spending 48 hours in hospital having this worked up. (laughs) Uh, then there's carotid sinus sensitivity. So if you massage the carotid sinus, that can result in this uh, reflex syncope. So this could be from shaving, something That's a as simple as that. One, yeah. Remember we had this Russian exchange student in year seven. He, he used to go around to all of us and put us in the sleeper hold and put us to sleep. So <laughs> that, that's what he was doing. He's in jail now. <laughs> Uh, the last one is ocular, so so that's when people have a situational reflex syncope to to any kind of, um, I guess, palpation on their eye. Mm. Okay, so so th- those were the reflex syncopal causes. Now let's talk about orthostatic hyper, uh, sorry orthostatic syncope. So this is where there's a drop in the systolic blood pressure of more than twenty millimeters of mercury, or an increase in the heart rate. Remember we talked about decrease before. This one's an increase of more than 20 beats per minute. But even if we disregard any of those numbers, which are conveniently the same number, 20, <laughs> the symptoms are more important than the signs. So this is the person who, who stands up and then tells you that they feel pre-syncopal. Mm. So the, the two most common causes of, uh, of this that I see on the Gen Med Ward are primary autonomic failure, so this is more central causes, and Parkinson's disease or Lewy body dementia. Um, commonly cause that kind of thing. And then the second most common cause I see is autonomic peripheral neuropathy. So that's from diabetes most of the time. Almost always from diabetes, yeah. Yeah. Um, So apart from those two causes, there's also iatrogenic. So when we did our ACE inhibitor podcast, we talked about you've got to be careful when someone's really um, dependent on that renin-angiotensin system and you take that away from them with an ACE inhibitor, they can often get bad orthostatic hypotension. And that's why we tell people that we start on ACE inhibitors when they get up in the morning, sit on the edge of the bed for a few minutes and just chill out. Yeah, uh, which is sort of related a little bit to volume depletion. And, and this can be a really bad thing. Someone who's volume deplete can actually be very, very unwell. So volume depletion might also be iatrogenic from something like diuretics, not mm. drinking enough. Often the, the history will help you out there. Mm. So that's orthostatic. I had a lady recently that that's that's why she finally presented. She'd had, um, you know, diarrhea and vomiting all night, and then she just woke up on the ground three times while she was trying to get to the toilet. Well, mm. there you go. Orthostatic, secondary to volume depletion. Mm. Probably. Why was she vomiting? Ah, uh, she had a viral illness. There I you presume. Go. Okay, so that's the first two big categories. The third one, and arguably the most important, hello to the cardiology consultants who are currently supervising me, (laughs) is the cardiac causes. So these can be broken up loosely into arrhythmias and structural problems. I wouldn't say that's so loose. It's a nice nice breakup. This is quite a nice differentiation between those two. So let's start start talking about the arrhythmias. 
So I see a lot of bradycardia, um, but ventricular tachycardia can do it as well. And then in younger patients, which I never come across on, on GenMed, uh, Brugada syndrome and other inherited channelopathies can do it as well. Mm, and something you would have seen more often on GenMed, pacemaker dysfunction. Correct, yeah. Okay, so they're, they're the arrhythmias, and we can talk for a whole episode about bradycardia or VT in itself, but we'll just brush over those for now. Um, structural causes, what kind of things are you thinking about? So classically, aortic stenosis is what causes syncope. So that's that's one of the main reasons to replace an aortic valve when they're not only getting the angina, not only getting the shortness of breath, but they're getting the syncope. Mm. So that's mm. in an older person that that's very common. But in a younger person, um, hypertrophic uh, obstructive cardiomyopathy. We did a podcast on that as well if you want to listen to it. Yeah, so another thing is myocardi- myocardial infarction. Mm. Okay, so we mentioned medications earlier. Um, we should always think about medications as a causative factor in almost any presentation of a patient who's in a hospital. Mm. Um, so medications can cause syncope in various ways. We talked about fruzomide and orthostasis, but also thinking about beta blockers and bradycardia or antiemetics, antipsychotics and long QT. So just to recap, we've talked about reflex or neurocardiogenic syncope. We've talked about orthostatic syncope. And we've talked about cardiac syncope. All right, moving on to the history. So the actual evaluation of the patient. So as always, the money is in the history. If you take a good history, you won't have to spend long in the exam on, or much money on investigations. So the primary point of the history, as far as I'm concerned, is to make sure that you're, you're not missing anything serious. So the three things you can't miss when someone comes in with syncope is a cardiac cause, or arrhythmia or, or um, outflow tract problem, a seizure, or hypovolemia. Hmm, okay, so make sure you take a really thorough history. And I think that the syncope history, particularly for, for medical students and junior doctors, more junior than myself out there, um, it's really important to remember that when you take any history of an event that occurs to get a good story about the background, what happened before the event, what happened during the event, and what happened afterwards. There's some really solid hooks to hang things on. So it comes back to my obsession with time course. It's always about time course. Mm, Okay, so let's talk about background. What are you looking for in the background? So not just the the personal history of the patient. So do they have any conditions that you might worry about? It could be behind all of this. But also the family history is quite important in syncope. And lots of conditions like Hockham or Brugada syndrome or other inherited stuff. Like it's good to know, do they have a family history of sudden death or syncope? Mm, Okay, so... Another thing is is what kind of medications they're on. So taking a proper medication history, including getting an idea of their adherence and whether they're sometimes taking too much of something. Mm. So that's background. What about before the event? So we're now kind of zooming in on the actual event itself and before is the first step. So what were they doing exactly? So were they watching Game of Thrones? Were they standing in coals? Were they just sitting there at dinner? Mm. What, were, what were their exact activity? Um, how did they feel at that point? Um, what position were they in? Had they just stood up um, or had they been sitting for a long time or were they walking around? Mm. So I had a patient recently who came into the emergency department and told me that he had a, a syncopal episode where he was lying lying down on an aeroplane and, and then just passed out and he told me that it happened several times before. So that kind of thing makes you a little bit more worried mm. than the person who's Uh, like another patient I saw recently who was standing up in a hot, crowded room and actually presented with a skull fracture because she 
um, felt very dizzy in this hot crowded room with a glass of wine and, and then couldn't get to sit down in time and just fell straight backwards. Mm. Yeah, that is scary. If someone's just lying there with nothing else going on, could be cardiac. Mm. So then before the next step is during. So obviously syncope, the definition is that uh, they're no longer conscious. So if someone gives you a, a good history of what happened during, it's not syncope. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, is where you need to get some good collateral history. Yeah. Um, so the important questions to ask about, um, did they notice any abnormal movements? So we'll talk about a little bit later what the specific abnormal movements are in seizure, but just ask what they noticed um, and then also ask if they noticed any incontinence at that point. Mm. Um, they might have also noticed that they, they've bitten their tongue or someone might say that they saw them bite their tongue. Mm. Then afterwards, we want to know about how they recovered. Was it quick? Was it slow? How were they feeling afterwards? Were they were they confused? Were they disoriented? And then, of course, we need to know if they they sort of came to and realised that they had injuries like that girl with the fractured skull that I just mentioned then. Mm. All right, so we're talking about the history is all about picking those red flags for the things that we can't miss. So the first thing we can't miss are cardiac causes. So what are the red flags for cardiac causes on that kind of structure that we just gave before? Okay, so if we start off on the background, we said that was split up into past history and family history. Um, so past history of heart disease, heart failure, ischemic heart disease, family history of sudden death. So that makes you think about Brugada. Mm-hmm. What about or Hockham. F- or Hockham. Um, so then before the event... Uh, were they were they just exerting themselves at the time? So you sometimes pass out after you exercise, <laughs> uh, but that's when you stop, right? That's when you've got you've stopped exercising and you've got this vagal surge where your body's like, finally, Beck has given me a break. Let's just pass yeah, out. yeah. So 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 me crossing the finish line the other day of a fun run and then having to pretend to tie up my shoelace because I thought I was going to <laughs> fall over. That that wasn't a red flag because it happened following the exertion. But if someone's mid-exertion and they bang, pass out, that's worrying. Mm. So other symptoms they had... So, so hang on, what's that worrying for? So it's worrying for outflow tract... Obst- um, out- outro flack. <laughs> <laughs> outflow tract <laughs> disturbance. So well aortic stenosis or hockum. Uh, so other other symptoms um, you worry about, chest pain, palpitations, and their position is really important. So that story you gave about the guy on the plane, that's really worrying for cardiac because he was just lying there, he hadn't just stood up. Mm. Another thing is how sudden it is. If there's, an, if there's a prodrome, that makes it often more likely that it's something else. But if it's just out of the blue, particularly accompanied with these palpitations or anything like that, then uh, yeah. then that's a red flag. During it... There's not really anything in particular, um, but just one thing to be aware of is that myoclonic jerks do not rule out a cardiac cause of syncope and do not rule out syncope in general. You can get jerks during a syncope. Bystanders will often describe it as a fit. Mm. Trap for young players there. (laughs) So afterwards, the thing to ask about is, did they have a spontaneous or instantaneous recovery? Mm. That's a red flag for a cardiac cause. All right, so taking you now through the red flags for seizures... So the background um, past medical history of seizures obviously is a red flag for seizures. But keep in mind, more than once, uh, there's been people that have been given a diagnosis of seizures by someone, but it's been false, and then no one's actually gone back to double-check, you know, are these seizures or pseudo-seizures or something else. So Mm. don't necessarily believe everything you hear, but if someone's got a history of seizures on on three anti-epileptics, more likely to be seizures. Also, other things, if they've got, um, if they've got something like a brain cancer or, or they're on any medications that lower their seizure threshold, then, then that's more likely to be seizure. Any risk factors for seizure makes you think about seizure, essentially. 
Then you've got to think about precipitants that have lowered their seizure threshold. So have they been you know, playing video games every night and only sleeping two hours, two hours a night for the past week? That's going to lower their seizure threshold. Have they been on a huge alcohol binge or have they just stopped drinking alcohol? Anything that lowers that threshold makes you worried about a seizure. Mm. And now if we go back into that before, during and after. Um, so before, seizures often are associated with a prodrome. So people who frequently get seizures can identify these patterns, but often people will be able to tell you that they got a flashing light for a few hours prior to this event. So temporal lobe epilepsy, that's the one that has all those funky, um, really interesting auras. So the, the jamais vu, the deja vu, the song that gets stuck in their head every time they're about to get a seizure. So keep that in mind. So then during, so again, obviously this is all collateral, but the, the seizure um, jerking is very specific. So it's different to the myoclonic jerks you might get in a vasovagal or orthostatic syncope. Um, or cardiac for that matter, you get that stiffening, you get that tonic phase first, and then you get that really rhythmic clonic activity. Mm. Other things to uh, ask about are odd posturing of their head, um, gaze deviation, if anyone noticed that, they were just looking one side, um, and loss of bladder or bowel control is the other That's one. That's a really good one. It's not that good, but it's pretty good. People people put too much emphasis on that, I Do feel. Do they? Yeah. Okay. The really good one is the one to ask afterwards, tongue biting. So that's really, really specific for seizure. Mm-hmm. If someone's got a, a big bite on the side of their tongue or their mouth hurts, then you know that's really likely to have been a seizure. Mm. I've seen some big chunks out of tongues from seizures. The other thing afterwards is a prolonged post-ictal phase. So if they were confused for a long time afterwards. If someone tells you they... Remember, being on the ground after the event, that's very unlikely to be a seizure. Mm, okay, and this is often something that's misrepresented by by patients and, um, and collateral because they'll often be confused for a few minutes after another kind of syncopal episode, but with seizures, it's much, much longer. Sorry, half an hour or so, yeah. Mm, okay, so, so we've talked about the red flags for cardiac, the red flags for seizures. Let's talk about the red flags for hypovolemia. That's another one of those serious causes you talked about. And I think this is much easier to ascertain from the history. Yeah, I agree. So this is when, you know, they were doing bowel prep. It it was really hot. They hadn't been drinking. They had diarrhea like the lady I had or they'd had big PR bleeds. If they were just some good cause for being hypovolemic beforehand. Mm, And and the... The presentation, again, we could split it into before, during, and after, but during is very similar to vasovagal. Afterwards, they might still feel really crappy for a long time because they do have... This is a family-friendly podcast. They might feel... Bad, <laughs> poorly. They might be feeling poorly for a while afterwards. Um, but watch out for those doogie houses out there. That are in that school <laughs> age you don't want to expose them to that kind of language, Beck. But yeah, so that so that's red flags for hypovolemia. Right. We've talked enough about red flags. I'm over it. Let's talk about some reassuring features. This, this is, is what we mostly see in the ambulatory care at the Royal Melbourne ED. I think that's what everyone mostly says. When someone comes in and think, you know, if you're a betting man and you were lazy, you could just assume it was vasovagal and you'd be right most of the time. Especially if you're talking about me. So I get these symptoms a lot. I can tell you about it with a, a lot of empathy. So you can get lightheadedness, a sense of warmth, which sometimes feels like it descends and you feel like you're getting very hot and red and sweaty. Um, pallor, nausea and vomiting, even some abdominal pain. And usually it's associated with some obvious precipitating event. So like that lady I was telling you about standing up in a hot crowded room for a long time, like being on a long ward round, or those provocative factors we mentioned earlier, coughing, urinating, um, things like that. So exertion again, as we talked about, 
exertion and syncope if they are at the same time is worrying but if there's exertion and then syncope less worrying that's quite reassuring afterwards again if you get that persistence of nausea pallor diaphoresis um, and a, and it's sort of a long longer recovery but not so much disorientation and confusion that's suggestive of a vagal event rather than a seizure or cardiac syncope from which you tend to bounce back quite quickly mm. so that's the history so what do you do on your exam, examination of someone with syncope? Apart from, you know, your standard stuff, what are, what are particular things that everyone should get? So the thing that I try to hone in on is the vital signs and in particular postural blood pressures. And this is often done incorrectly, I think. So I tend to do this myself where I make sure the patient's been lying down for at least five minutes. Don't just lie them down and take the blood pressure. Lie them down for five minutes, take the blood pressure, get them to stand and take the blood pressure at one, two, and three minutes. Take the heart rate at the same time. Do you remember why? So that was the difference between orthostatic hypotension and vasovagal hypotension. That's right. So vasovagal goes down because you've got this parasympathetic reflex and orthostatic goes up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then obviously we listen to the heart. Yeah. So listen particularly for an ejection systolic murmur, which you'll get in an outflow tract disturbance. So... Uh, listen to our Hockham podcast to differentiate between AS and, and Hockham. I think uh, most people deserve a cursory neurological exam, obviously a, a much better one if you're very suspicious for, for seizures, but look, looking for focal neurology, which can be a result of the seizure or it can be, you know, signify an underlying lesion or brain tumor or something like that. Mm. And, and of course, if someone has had an unconscious collapse, you should do a trauma survey, make sure they haven't injured themselves. And... Mm-hmm. Um, the workup in terms of investigations. So this depends on how worried you are. If it's a really good story for vasovagal or whatever, you'll do a pretty cursory workup. You'll just, um, you know, get their vital signs and do an ECG, basically. Uh, but then if you're if you're more worried, um, particularly if you're worried for a cardiac cause, you'll do a halter monitor. So that's where you do 24 or 48 hours of monitoring where they, you know, have a special monitor and a pouch around their neck for all that time. So is that... Is that useful? I've almost never seen anything positive on that. So I've been told by a cardiologist it's useful for buying Porsches, not that useful for picking up uh, for picking up events. But yeah. so I suppose they're only useful if you actually have an arrhythmia or an arrhythmic syncopal episode during that twenty-four hours where you yeah. happen to be holding it. And if it's happened twice in your life, then it's, it's unlikely you're going to capture it. But if you if it's a really good story, you got to do the halter first and see if you pick up anything. But if it's negative and you're still really concerned, then you know there's other things you can do. So you can do halter monitoring for longer, or they've got these funky little injectable monitoring devices that can stay in there for really long times. Mm. Okay, something that you might also consider if you're worried about a structural cardiac condition: an echocardiogram. Mm. And then there's tilt table testing. So this is a bit controversial. I think they do quite a bit of it on cardiology, actually. But, uh, you know, it's a bit controversial in the literature how useful it is. So it's not particularly sensitive or specific and there's poor reproducibility. They're all bad things so for, for a test. <laughs> Wouldn't put that in the bullet points on the back of the box. <laughs> um, but the indications for that are recurrent syncope in the absence of any known heart disease and to differentiate between reflex and orthostatic and hypotension. Mm. I also just remember something that we haven't really talked about, and that's how many how many times this has happened to a person. So this is again more in the background, but yeah. someone someone who's who's had um, just one syncopal episode, um, you're usually not actually too concerned about that. And similarly, you're not too concerned about someone who's had 
multiple syncopal or pre-syncopal episodes that sound like vasovagals, it mm. makes it more likely that this one mm. is also a similar thing. I had a really similar issue like that recently where there was a guy that every time they changed his pick dressing, he'd just pass out. Mm. So obviously he didn't like that. Mm. Um, and his wife was just, you know, really freaking out. It's like, what if this happens again? What do I do? And I'm like, just let, let him be. <laughs> but I'm reassured if it happens again in the exact same exactly. situation. So that was important to communicate in that. In that situation. Yeah, I I um, st- stupidly was showing a medical student how to do a cannula and it was the first time she'd ever tried on a patient and I accidentally led her to a patient who it turned out subsequently had fainted every single time he'd ever had a cannula inserted. Oh, yeah, that's good. They're just self-anesthetizing <laughs> themselves and they're good to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she was too keen on it. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that derail, but I think that that's an important thing to, to think about. All right, take me home, Beck. Okay, so take-home points to wrap it up. Number one, the first question you should ask yourself, is it syncope? Secondly, evaluation should be aimed at ruling out the serious causes, so that's cardiac causes, seizures, hypovolemia. And thirdly, Dava, I'll let you say this one. You seem to like it a lot. Time course, time course, time course. So check out what was happening in the background, what, you know, what's the setting for all this, and then immediately before what were they doing, during from the collateral history and then afterwards what happened great okay so i think that is a wrap thank you for listening and if you'd like to see all the other episodes we've done have a look at our facebook have a look at our website www.medconversations.com and uh let us know what you think we hope you enjoyed it please like our facebook page please listen to him (laughs) this poor little boy make double smile like our facebook page bye bye